From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to the latest episode of For What It's Worth, where we talk about all the personal finance and workplace stories that affect you on a day-to-day basis. My goal after you listen to this show for one hour is you walk away with real information that you can put into practice right away. So whether that's how to save money better, how to invest better, how to negotiate a better salary with your boss, all of these things are exercises that we don't tend to think about until we have to. But if we have these tools in our so-called toolkit, when we are faced with an opportunity to maybe negotiate a higher salary or maybe get a better deal on this item we're buying, we already know how to do it because you've listened to For What It's Worth and you have those tools available to you. Uh, This week, we got some uh, data out from Statistics Canada that showed our inflation has slowed to 2.8% in the month of June. Now, what does that mean realistically to Canadian families who have been struggling with higher grocery prices, higher household uh, costs? It really means that the same basket of goods that Statistics Canada looks at, and that includes things like gasoline, which has come down considerably in the last year, and that's really what's dragging those prices down, we are paying uh, only 2.8% more year over year for that same basket of goods. This is good news, definitely. And it does show that the Bank of Canada's interest rate hikes are working in some ways. But other items like grocery items still remain persistently high, above 9% year over year. So it is good news that you can save a little bit at the pumps because that's something that many of us can't avoid. We've got to drive to our job. We've got to take our kids to, well, summertime, so take our kids to camp or maybe go on a road trip. So these are a costs we can't avoid. But one thing that still remains persistently high, grocery prices, that is unavoidable in any way. Uh, with driving, you can, you know, maybe carpool sometimes, pay public transit. Maybe you can decide to work from home a couple of days. You can save some money that way. But groceries, you've got to always go out and buy food for your family. And this is why we've seen an increase of Canadian families, unfortunately, accessing food banks across the country. We've heard from food banks saying that they have a, a desperate need for money and products in order to serve the people that are coming to them. And this is a reaction to what's been happening with prices uh, across this country. And so it's good news that inflation is down, but it's really important to know that the main reason that inflation has ticked lower is because of gasoline prices. So how do we get through it? How do we get through this time where interest rates are high, it's costing us a lot to service our mortgages, especially if you've got that variable rate mortgage. If you have a mortgage coming due in the next year, you're worried about the kind of interest rate environment that you're going to be renewing your mortgage in. Because if you if you had your mortgage term uh, hammered out five years ago or four years ago, let's say, you were in a much different interest rate environment. And then now we are looking at prime rate above 7%. So these are the commercial bank rates that uh, banks offer uh, customers when they come in. So often you'll get a product that's prime minus or prime plus. That prime rate is very important when it comes to how much you're going to pay to service that mortgage. And that is going to be much higher. During the depths of the pandemic, when interest rates dropped to 0.25%, Prime was hovering just around two, 
two and a half percent. So it was really cheap to go in and borrow an extra hundred thousand dollars, an extra two hundred thousand dollars, because the payments really didn't creep up that fast. And that has changed dramatically in the last 18 months. And so whether you're in a variable mortgage or not, if you're coming up for renewal, that's also a cause of stress. So what can we do to really keep our costs down? There's some stuff that's just basic, right? We really need to know how much our life costs month to month. So writing out everything you spend for three months time. And often we can do this by just looking at our credit cards because most of us do do most of our transactions uh, digitally and then often through our credit cards or our bank bank accounts. So you could just look back to see what, you, what your spending has been like for the last three months and do a little audit. Like what things could you have done without? Could you, you know, maybe not going out, gone out for dinner three times that week. Maybe you didn't need to buy that new dress. You could have bought, had something that was in your closet or that new suit. So you had to go to a wedding. I often say, you know, whenever I'm invited to a wedding, if I just look around my closet a little bit, I've saved like 200 bucks, right? Because I don't have to go and buy a dress or maybe ask a friend if I could borrow something. That, of course, is going to save money as well. So things like that. I mean, it's really about being mindful of where you're spending the money because when you're in it day to day, often we are spending on autopilot. We just buy the things that we think we need and we don't really look back and say, did they serve us? Did that purchase serve me in the way that I thought it would? And when you look back, sometimes you think, well, you know, I could have done this differently. I could have not done, you know, done a, a app delivery. I could have just driven and picked that up and saved 30% or whatever it may be. But even though I'm not a huge promoter of nickel and diming our lives, because I don't think that's the stuff that really saves a lot of money. Sometimes it causes more stress, but I am a big, big supporter of looking back and seeing where spending was unnecessary, right? So that hundred bucks, 50 bucks, 25 bucks, that does add up. If you want to go out and you want to treat yourself to a nice dinner and you can afford it, absolutely do it. I would not be standing in someone's way of spending money that they have and enjoying their life. But if you're doing that and you're not enjoying it, then that's really a waste of money. And we've all, we all are guilty of this. We're all guilty of going out, doing something, buying something, consuming it, and later thinking, mm, that was not money well spent. Even sometimes big things, like you go on a holiday because you think, you know, you see a bunch of friends on social media, they're going on summer holiday. You're thinking, I should be going on a summer holiday. So you book something, you go on the holiday and come back. You're like, I would have been much happier just doing a staycation or maybe spending some time with friends in my own city or town or neighborhood. And that would have cost me a lot less money. Really what I needed was just some time off, right? So it's recognizing what you really need. And that way you can save a lit a bit of money. So being mindful is the first thing, is really looking back and saying, how has my spending been for the last three months? Also looking at all the interest that you're paying on your debt. Can you consolidate any of that debt to bring it down? Because a lot of our money is going more and more towards interest payments, and that is eating up a lot of our household budget. And then always making uh, alternative choices. So if you can, if you're going on a holiday, drive rather than fly. If you're going out for dinner, choose a restaurant that is little bit less expensive than the really bougie one that's going to cost you twice as much. Or look up a restaurant that has a deal on, say, oh, say you're going up on Wednesday night. Lots of restaurants have sort of half price appetizers or specialties. Uh, if you come in for families, you know, there's so many things that you can look up and, and find deals. So do think of always find alternatives to what you're doing. So you're still going out for dinner, but you're spending less on that. And really cut out the spending that doesn't make you happy. If anybody has ever read uh, Marie Kondo's book, 
joy of tidying up. I know I always get it wrong. It's something like that. But you know, it's just how happy it makes you when you clean your home. It's the same sort of concept when it comes to spending. What really brings you joy in your spending? Years and years ago, I did a presentation for a group of people at the Homes Show. It's a show where you go and they showcase all the things that you can do to renovate your home. And I called it, I think I called it the joy of spending. And it really was about are you getting joy out of every penny that you're spending? Because when you're doing these renovations, you better be happy because they're pretty expensive. So I still have that same point of view that you should be getting joy out of every penny you're spending. And if you're not, cut it out. And that's going to save you a lot of money. We're going to get deeper into this later in the program when we speak to a financial planner about how to get out of debt fast. Because a lot of people feel like debt is something that takes way too long to tackle and they just don't want to deal with it, but you can get out of debt fast. And first, we're going to speak to an economist about the latest inflation data and what it tells us about our economy and our interest rates going forward for 2023. All of that coming up. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is for what it's worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Huck. This week, we heard from Statistics Canada, and they gave us the latest on inflation for the month of June. And surprise, surprise, inflation has fallen to the target range that the Bank of Canada likes inflation to be at to 2.8%. That means we are paying 2.8% for the same basket of goods that we were paying for just a year ago. And that's much more normal inflation compared to where we've been previously when inflation spiked over 8% last summer. To talk about the latest inflation data and what we can expect from the Bank of Canada for the rest of 2023, we are joined by Claire Fan. She is an economist with RBC Bank. Hi, Claire. Hi, Rubina. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. So 2.8%, that's lower than what I understand even your forecast was for the month of June. Yeah, that's correct. Um, the 2.8 headline number was actually a tad lower than what we were expecting before the data release, which was for 2.9%. But, you know, the large part of the story is that, you know, it's now down below um, the Bank of Canada's 1.3 target range for inflation, like you mentioned before. And obviously, that's a relief to a lot of households, especially with the fact that, you know, a lot of that decline um, in June that we saw was kind of driven by the fact that energy prices this year are just so much lower than where they were a year ago. So yeah, so um, um, core prices, which is uh, price growth, excluding food and energy components, also slowed as well to 3.6%. So uh, the headline numbers would definitely suggest there's a lot of progress that's being made in terms of uh, slowing inflation. Now, what does this mean for the Bank of Canada? They've been raising rates aggressively, 475 basis points in less than 18 months to really get inflation under control, understandably, because inflation did peak at uh, over 8%. Uh, and, and that obviously signals that something needs to be done to get it under control. But for those people who have mortgages and money out of their uh, borrowed money out of their home equity line of credit, they're watching that interest rate announcement uh, to see what happens to their cost of borrowing. Well, what's your forecast? Do you think the bank will, uh, is ha- will be happy with this level? Um, 
uh, again, you know, it's it's sort of uh, a tricky data release to really interpret for a lot of us because beneath those really optimistic headline numbers for uh, inflation in June, the court numbers, which the Bank of Canada pays uh, closer attention to, which are designed in a way to get a gauge at underlying price pressure. So some of the more technical indicators like CPI trim. So what it does is really on a month to month basis, it kind of excludes things uh, that are seeing either a jump or a huge decline in prices from last month, because those could largely um, be due to, let's say, one off factors that are not likely to get repeated uh, persistently. So to get a better gauge at what's really persistent, what's persisting, essentially, uh, uh, when it comes to inflation, that's largely driven by still very, very resilient consumer demand. So that's what those core measures are for. Um, that's where sort of uh, we're not really seeing a lot of progress being made since uh, they've eased all quite substantially um, to October of 2022. But since then, they've really been stuck at that three and a half to four percent level on a three month annualized basis uh, for quite a while now. And that's sort of the main concern these days when it comes to inflation data. Now, grocery prices are still higher than headline uh, inflation numbers. And that, you know, is it's cold comfort for families who are trying to afford to do things like feed their family and, and get ready for summer or, you know, get through summer where, you know, there is a lot of getting together and having meals together, which can really add up. What does this mean for grocery prices going forward? And, and what is the reason why we're not seeing those prices come down as, 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 as quickly as headline inflation? Uh, that's a great question. So yeah, grocery prices in general, it like take it, it took a lot longer to turn around than some of the other components, um, such as energy prices. Uh, to begin with. And it does seem like the moderation in grocery prices on the way down uh, is, is is not progressing as fast as a lot of us would want it to. And that's really because, you know, grocery or food prices in general, um, the, the fact that it, it really was a combination of very many different uh, indicators or drivers that push food inflation to the sort of elevated level that we're seeing today to begin with. So so that would include, um, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, supply chain disruptions. Later on in 2022, severe drought conditions in Alberta and uh, other prior provinces um, that severely curbed crop production in the year which led to a lot of downstream impact to uh, uh, other sort of sectors when it comes to um, agriculture production as well, such as livestock rain. Um, and outside of that 2022, um, we saw the Russian invasion in, into Ukraine that just sent agriculture commodity prices surging. Um, and fertilizer costs also rose quite substantially. So a lot of different uh, sort of events all collectively drove uh, food prices higher. And on top of that, there's a domestic component to it as well. So today we've seen a lot of moderation on the supply side. You know, we kind of largely know that supply chain conditions all continue to moderate uh, on a global sort of scale. And, um, you know, the commodity prices have since eased back closer to where they were pre-pandemic as well. But uh, something, for an example, that was really stood out as a surprise to myself was the fact that, you know, processing and packaging costs 
uh, actually accounted for half of the price tag uh, that we're seeing for food prices in grocery stores. So it's that domestic component that normally acts as a buffer for you know rising and falling agriculture commodity prices. Those were rising as well over the past two years, and it really took a long time for those to you know collectively come down. But that is the case that we're seeing right now, and there is a lot of there are a lot of reasons still for us to expect food inflation to keep trending lower. Uh, Moving forward, but that doesn't really mean that food prices will fall because uh, slower inflation really just means prices will grow at a slower rate. And as we get closer to uh, a year from that 8.1% inflation, when we're comparing year over year, we're comparing to an elevated cost uh, uh, compared to last year. So it's, you know, people often think when are prices going to come down? It's really when are prices going to normalize? We're not going to really get back to what we paid for goods and services uh, March 2020 or even before that. That's, I don't think, I think that's something that people sometimes mis- misunderstand. Um, exactly. I wanted to to ask you, and this is a bit of a philosophical question to sort of end our uh, end our uh, conversation. But the Bank of Canada has been heavily criticized for how fast they moved uh, when it comes to interest rate uh, hikes uh, to to deal with inflation. As an economist, do you think they did the right thing at the right time? Now that we're seeing this result of inflation finally at the target range. Um, it, it is definitely a tricky question, and I, I think the answer to that is still yet to be found out. Um, so the bank also got a lot of the sort of criticism at the beginning when inflation first started to increase. Um, a lot of us, uh, alongside opinions from the bank, we kind of thought that you know inflation was transitory. I proved to be a lot more persistent, and um, sort of um, after getting some signs that you know price pressure are lasting, we're proving to be a lot more sticky than we had originally thought they would be. You know, the bank embarked on this really rapid interest rate hiking cycle that we're still seeing uh, today. So, you know, as to whether that's worked, um, if you look at the data, headline inflation does come down. But the fact that it's largely driven by lower energy prices is far from the good sign. Um, So CPI, core CPI measures are still sticking higher. So that is to say that the fight is not yet over. So, yeah, um, it's tricky for the bank uh, still to determine whether they've done enough. Um, have they overdone it? So because of the fact that monetary policy tends to work with the like, it is very early to tell still. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today and getting us up to date on uh, what's going on with uh, inflation and uh, what we, what we can possibly expect for the rest of 2023. No problems. Pleasure to be here. That's Claire Fan. She is an economist with RBC Bank. When we come back, we're going to talk to a financial planner about how to get out of debt fast. A lot of people feel like tackling their debt is this enormous task that's going to take years and years to pay off, when in fact, it can be much faster if you do it the right way. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk.
Living with a lot of debt can be stressful, and we know financial wellness is a key to our overall health and wellness. So if you are in a lot of debt, how can you deal with it fast and feel better about your money? To help us navigate this, we are joined by Kelly Ho. She is a certified financial planner based in Vancouver. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Rubina. Kelly, what's the number one uh, issue that you find people have when it comes to just starting the process of getting out of debt? I find that people are very stressed. They lose sleep over it. They feel bad about themselves. And it leads to a lot of uh, mental, mental health issues, quite frankly, and it affects every aspect of their life. And, you know, this is something that, of course, can affect you at work. So it affects your productivity. It can affect your relationships because if you're stressed about money, then you may be fighting with your spouse about, you know, a charge that's on the credit card that you both didn't talk about before it happened. And this can lead to other issues. I mean, I think this is something we're starting to really recognize. Is there a kind of debt that uh, that that Canadians are right now struggling with the most? Uh, you know, often we think about heavy credit card debt, you know, being a big burden, but mortgage interest rates have come up considerably in the last year and a half. Is there a kind of debt that Canadians are just more stressed about right now? Absolutely. So as you said, prior to the interest rate environment increasing very rapidly, it was it has always been consumer debt is bad. Um, don't spend more than what you earn, and so on and so forth. And we always saw mortgage debt as a good debt. But what's happened over the last several years is that because there was so much cheap money available, a lot of people took on more than what they could actually afford, not taking into account the rapid the possibility of rapid interest rate increases. So effectively put everything kind of spiraled out of the control really, really quickly. So sometimes people aren't even clear, is it the is it their consumer debt or is it their mortgage? There's just not a lot of clarity and people are just really stressed and trying to figure out what they should do. And the reality is, is that if you don't make your mortgage payments, you may be forced to uh, sell your home. Uh, you may be, you can get into a situation where you have to dramatically change your lifestyle. Whereas with credit card debt, if you're making the minimum payments, no one's actually knocking on your door and asking you for any of that money. You can continue to, even though interest rates are, are hiking up your uh, overall cost of borrowing, you can at least not have to worry about um, having someone take your home or, you know, be getting in foreclosure, which I know doesn't happen very often, but that I c can imagine can be a real anxiety uh, for people. And it's a really good point that you made there that we have been fed this information. Mortgage debt is good. It gets you into a house. Your house grows in value. It's something that you can sell in retirement and take the equity in and have, a, you know, have money to spend in those years. So if someone is listening right now and they've got, uh, their debt is unsurmountable, or at least they feel it is, uh, they've got credit card debt, maybe their mortgage payments have gone up. What's the first step that someone should take to manage their financial situation if they are dealing with um, a lot of debt that they find they cannot pay off? First of all, I would encourage for them to seek out a financial professional who can act, who's actually not in the household. So not a conversation just simply with their partner or spouse, but to actually seek outside counsel who can actually look at their situation at, with a bird's eye view and be able to objectively lay out, here is your situation. 
and then proceed from there. Because a lot of times when you're intertwined in the situation, it's really tough to bring clarity. Whereas if you actually talk to a third party who know who's an expert in their field, they can actually bring a lot of value and just go, okay, maybe it's not as bad as you think it is because here's what we see, or maybe, yes, it is this bad. So here's what we can do. And that's really important because often we do seek, you know, the advice of our friends and family, and we are not as comfortable maybe sharing the total nitty gritty details of our finances, which you may be more comfortable. It's just like when you go to a doctor's office, you, you really tell them what's going on with your health. Whereas your friends, you may be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. I don't really know what to do, but you're not really telling them all the other stuff that might have been going on that's that's contributing to the way that you're feeling. Is there a type of debt when you have a client that you really like to tackle first um, just to get that, the process started when it comes to getting out of debt? Absolutely. So what I encourage people to do is actually lay everything out. So what are their debts owing? What are their payments? What are the interest rates associated with it? What are the negotiables and non-negotiables when it comes to expenses in their household? So that literally every single line item is completed. And one comment I would make in terms of mortgage debt, depending on the lender or institution that one has their mortgage with, sometimes there is flexibility depending on how it's structured. So I wouldn't say it's, you know, boom or bust when it comes to the mortgage situation, though a lot of times, unfortunately, people are are not educated enough about their options. So really going through this process of sitting down with someone who can tackle every line item as as, as tedious as it sounds is paramount to figuring out how to best solve their uh, debt issues or worries. We're speaking to Kelly Ho. She is a certified financial planner based in Vancouver. Um, A lot of times we are living lives that we cannot afford, and that is what is getting us into more and more debt. So even though we may be paying some debt down, we continue to feel like, where is all my money going every time I get paid? How can someone recognize uh, that they're just living a life that is just too expensive for the salary that they're making? Well, once they really gain clarity in terms of where their money is going, and if it is indeed they are living a life that is too expensive, that is unsustainable, that's when sometimes tough choices may need to be made. As much as I hate telling someone, hey, you know, you may want to consider uh, downsizing or um, are there other options on the table? Because if we're not breaking even each month and we're digging ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into debt, that's not sustainable either. But again, it's really important for one to have all their options laid out, discuss the pros and cons, what are they willing to and not willing to give up and be able to live with those consequences regardless if they're good or bad. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I mean, being realistic, uh, you know, your money is your money. You, you, either you go and make more money and justify the lifestyle that you're living, or you adjust what's happening in your life right now in order to afford it. Um, the Kelly, the, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I feel like a lot of people have this Uh, have this uh, idea that getting out of debt takes a long time and that it's something that, you know, it's just going to, they're going to be on a payment plan for years and years and years. But is, is it realistic? If, if I say to somebody, you can get out of debt fast, you can manage this quickly. Is that a a realistic statement to make to somebody um, if they are worried about their debt? Need to say this, but I'm going to say it depends. (laughs) Um, what I've, what I've seen among my own clients and others that I've spoken with colleagues and whatnot in the industry is that if we, if we can make some temporary changes, 
in one situation where we can help them pay down their debt faster. So for example, if one is setting aside funds towards their RSPs and TFSAs, but on the other hand, they have accumulated some debt that they'd like to take care of faster, then it's very easy for us to temporarily turn off the tap on one, reallocate their funds, and have them pay down their debt more quickly. And again, it does require for the client's, uh, the financial professional to be absolutely clear of the entire picture to be able to make that recommendation. And for you know Canadians to be comfortable in sharing that type of information, knowing that the professional has their best interests at heart in order to help them get out of whatever situation that they're in. Um, so obviously that's in a situation where one is setting aside savings, but if they're not setting aside savings, then we might need to look at uh, options where, you know what, does consolidating, is that an option? And what is the best way to consolidate? And more importantly, one concern I have sometimes about consolidation is that, okay, great, I've taken care of that, but they don't change their ways to prevent a similar situation from happening. So one of the most important things I always caution is, yes, we can fix this, but what are we going to do? How can we be proactive going forward to make sure we don't get you in this endless cycle of consolidation? Yeah, and consolidation can make you immediately feel richer, right? So your credit cards that were maxed out are are empty all of a sudden, and this payment plan is really manageable, and it can be so easy to go and start charging those credit cards again. I, I read all the time, you know, put your credit card in an ice block in the freezer or cut it up, but really it's about changing your mindset. You know, you can do all those things to sort of separate yourself from the plastic so you're not a- able to easily access it, but in the end, you can still melt that ice cube and get the card out. You can still ask for a new card if you shred it, um, you can still get into the same kind of debt. Uh, before I let you go, uh, do we talk enough about the instant gratification that we get from seeing debts wiped off of our to-do list? You know, So if we make that list of all the debts we have, and then we say, ooh, I've, I've paid off this credit card, or I've, you know, I'm caught up on this utility bill, um, you know, how big of a motivator is that when we're paying down debt? So this idea of just crossing things off that list of debt that, that's been hanging around. I think it depends on the type of debt. I mean, obviously, we know with credit card debt, typically speaking, if one ends up with credit card debt, it means that something's happened that's caused them to spend more than what they can afford. So the key to that is to have a very solid plan in going forward on how we can prevent this from happening again. I think that would be more uh, long-term sustainable gratification. Um, But when it comes to mortgage debt, really it is a long-term liability and we want to make sure that, hey, it does make sense for their situation and really look at, again, their entire situation holistically to make sure any financial decisions that they're making, um, regardless debt, savings and all that, that all makes sense. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, giving us tips on how we can manage our debt if we're finding it unmanageable. I think this is going to be a very useful conversation for a lot of Canadians. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That's Kelly Ho. She is a certified financial planner based in Vancouver. When we come back, a lot of people are looking for a roommate right now in order to save money because rents across this country have been skyrocketing. In places like Toronto and Vancouver, you can expect to pay $2,500 and $2,800 respectively for a one-bedroom apartment. But many people are saying finding a roommate is like dating, and there are a lot of sites out there that mimic dating sites that help to connect roommates. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the rental landscape in this country when we come back. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. 
From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Robina Ahmed Hawk. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Finding a roommate is like dating, according to a lot of young people who are right now out there looking for someone to share an apartment with for university, or maybe their work has called them back in person and they need to move back closer to the city. And many of them are saying because of the cost of living right now and the cost of rents, that the only option they have is to share the cost of an apartment with somebody else. Uh, A one-bedroom apartment, for an example, in the city of Toronto and in Vancouver. Toronto, it's $2,400. Vancouver, even more. But if you rent a two-bedroom apartment, you can cut those costs down to about $1,600 each. So you're paying more for the apartment, maybe about $3,000, $3,200. But per person, it works out to a lot less. And so the only option many young people have, especially if they're first starting out in the work world, is to get a roommate so that they can save some money so eventually they can move out on their own or maybe buy their own place and save money for their own futures. And a lot of people are saying that finding a roommate is like dating. There are new sites that are out called roomies.ca, torontoroommates.ca, so that would be specific to the city of Toronto. And um, uh, there's a one called Digs with a Z, digs with a Z rather, uh, .ca, uh, D-I-G-G-Z.ca, where you can put up a profile. And I was perusing a few of them and they are so much like dating websites. They have a profile, they have a little bio explaining what they're all about. They, they say what they're looking for in a roommate. And of course they have their budget and how much they can actually afford, which is probably the key thing that people are looking for. I mean, if someone is willing to spend Uh, the same amount of money that you are, then you're more likely to be connected with them because then they're going to have a a similar kind of apartment that they're looking for. Um, And I just found it really interesting, like how different it is now looking for a roommate uh, because of the cost of living crisis. It's really trickling into everything. And these sites have been created to connect people. Um, And that is a good way to find someone. Uh, You know, it is a stranger, so you have to always be careful that way. There's a lot of local Facebook sites as well that cater to uh, renters looking for roommates. So you can go on there and explain who you are and and, and put up a little bit of an ad to say, you know, I'm looking for a roommate. There's other sites like Craigslist and Kijiji that are a bit of the old school way of looking for a roommate. But I personally think you should be a little careful when you're on those sites to make sure you're not connecting with someone that is, you know, not not in in it for the same reasons as you are. Uh, You want to make sure that you're going to be sharing space with this person. You're going to be, you know, all your things are going to be in the same apartment as this person. You want to trust them. You want to make sure they're the right person uh, for you. Uh, But, you know, really, this does highlight how expensive it is right now to rent. Um, If you are uh, making, say, $80,000 a year in the city of Toronto, many people are saying that's simply not enough. If you're making $80,000 after taxes, of course, it's less. And then you're paying after tax $2,400 a month for a one bedroom apartment. That's over that's almost $30,000 a year just to have a roof over your head. That's before you've paid for groceries and utilities and uh, transportation and other things that you got to do in your life. I mean, it's not just about living somewhere. You've got to actually live your life. Uh, One of the other things that people can do is, you know, not rent in an area that is 
the super closest to work. So if you're willing to take public transit into work, you're often often going to save money. Uh, in Toronto, for example, the further east you go, a little bit cheaper it gets. So that's something to, to bear in mind. And also when you're negotiating with your landlord, see what extras are there. So are they are they providing Wi-Fi, utilities? Is there any other uh, costs that they are going to pay for that would then mean you don't have to uh, pay for that when you move in? That's going to save you money too, right? Even Wi-Fi alone could save you 60, 70 bucks a month because if they have great Wi-Fi, then you can use that for your personal and work purposes. So many of us are working from home now and uh, a lot of landlords do include Wi-Fi because it's for the entire building. Say they own a triplex, it's for the entire building. So look for those kind of things that are going to save you money. And the other thing that you can look out for is you can talk to your soon-to-be landlord about work you could do around the home. So cutting the grass, removing the snow, or, or taking the garbage out. These are things that landlords often have to pay out of pocket to get done. And if you're saying to them, well, I'll do it for you, they, that could also take a little bit of money off of your overall rent costs, or at least they could pay you for those services. And that's going to help you uh, afford that home a little bit more. So that's just a couple of things to think about. You know, I really do feel for young people right now. Uh, the fact that there are these sites that mimic dating sites to connect roommates is really a sign of what's happening. I mean, people just simply cannot afford to live on their own, even with good salaries. Making $80,000 a year is a pretty good salary. Even with that kind of income, a lot of people are struggling to find a place that is suitable for them. And that's why we're seeing uh, the emergence of these sites uh, in uh, in big cities, especially uh, where people are looking to connect with uh, roommates who are like minded. Well, before I let you go, I wanted to highlight some of the conversations that we've had on for what it's worth today. Uh, inflation data is in, inflation data is in 2.8% for the month of June. So year over year, we're paying 2.8% more for the same basket of goods. And inflation has slowed. Uh, in, back in 2022, inflation peaked at 8.1%. And that's why the Bank of Canada reacted by raising rates so aggressively for the last year and a half in order to get that inflation under control. It seems to be working. It's in their target range. The Bank of Canada's mandate is to keep inflation between 1% and 3% and closest to 2 as possible. The problem is, is that 2.8%, it is in the range, but it's still not ideal. They want it to be closer to 2%. And it's just like when you are trying to lose weight, it's that last 10 pounds that's the hardest to come off. It's that last 0.8% that is going to be the toughest. And as Claire Fan from RBC um, highlighted, that a lot of items like grocery items remain persistently high. Items that normally don't go up more than 2% year over year that remain constant remain higher. It's mostly because of gasoline prices, which are quite volatile at any time. That's why we're seeing these lower inflation costs, but it will take some time until we actually feel it at the grocery store. Or we actually feel it in the household items that we are buying. Also enjoyed my conversation with Kelly Ho, the financial planner, certified financial planner from Vancouver about how to get out of debt fast. There is really something to be said about the motivation that a lot of us get just by seeing that number come down. So even though your debt may seem unsurmountable and you may feel like I'm never going to be able to tackle it, just getting those numbers on paper and starting to make a plan of how you're going to get out of debt is enough to keep you going. Because we do feel good when we cross off some debts that we've had hanging around for a while, where we get those things off of our so-called debt plate, if you want to call it that. 
And that's going to get you motivated. And in the end, that's going to lead to better financial wellness. And financial wellness is going to lead to better physical wellness, better mental, uh, you're going to, your mental health is going to uh, also feel better because you're not going to worry about money as well. So it overall is a good thing to get your debt under control. And the first thing you want to do is probably speak to a financial planner or a professional, not just your friends and family, because sometimes we can be a bit apprehensive sharing everything and we may not be getting the best information and they're not the professionals. A professional planner is going to look at your financial situation holistically and give you the best advice to get you out of debt as fast as possible. I want to thank you for tuning in today and listening to For What It's Worth. Thank you to James Petrovic, our technical producer. We will be back here same time, same channel. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.